You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Again. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. Part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it is preview day. We're diving into the Week 8 matchup. How is it Week 8 already, by the way? Between Miami and Detroit from Ford Field, we'll give you an intro into the Lions, go position by position, and break down the matchups, tell you what's at stake, and give you three keys to victory. All of that and a heck of a lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. So perhaps you're a big Hard Knocks fan, and this is the NFC team that you're most familiar with after a summer in camp with them. And I know you know about Dan Campbell. In fact, on the memories sections of all my social media apps this time of year, I get a chance to go back and see all the Dan Campbell memes and posts about those two magical wins in his first two games here as interim head coach, the thrashing of the Texans and that convincing win in Nashville over the Titans. But Coach Campbell has brought that same mentality to the Motor City. Oklahoma drills, biting off kneecaps, grit. And I know the record hasn't been reflective of this, but they play hard for that head coach. They scrap, they claw, and they tend to stay in games. Even during last year's very challenging 3-13-1 campaign, they were in a lot of those games. And this year, the goal was obviously to pull out some of those tight games. And it just hasn't happened yet. They lost to Baltimore, Minnesota, Cleveland, Chicago, and Atlanta last season by a combined 13 points and tied a game with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, at 1-5, and they've got losses to the Eagles by 3, Seahawks by 3, and Vikings by 4. So under Campbell and Brad Holmes, who began this rebuild in the post-Matt Stafford era by dealing their longtime franchise quarterback for some premium draft capital and loading up on some top-end college talent, is either developing in the process of it, like Jeff Okuda, or waiting for their opportunity, like Jamison Williams, who hasn't played yet coming off the ACL injury in last year's national championship game, but that was my wide receiver one in last year's draft. But in total, it's 4-18-1 for the Campbell and Holmes Lions. And I want to reiterate that I don't think that's reflective of who they are. They're coming off two lopsided losses where the offense came to a screeching halt, Early, they had totals of 35, 36, 24, and 45 points, but just six points combined the last two games. Offensive coordinator Ben Johnson has earned a lot of pop for the way he schemed up the offense, tailored to Jared Goff's strengths. It's a really good offensive line that should get their top back back this week in DeAndre Swift to go along with one of the game's best tight ends in TJ Hawkinson. On defense, it's been a struggle. They are allowing the second most yards per play in NFL history, but it did look a lot better last week against Dallas, one of the three games I watched in preparation for this show. But real quick, before we really dive into that, the path to this place is really one of the more interesting ones to me because typically 
you get that hard reset with a new coach, new GM, you ship out the quarterback, you acquire a bunch of draft capital, and traditionally, you'll see a new quarterback come along with that. And it's been Jared Goff, but he's not necessarily shiny and new. He's been in the league for a while. But I really admire what the Lions have done here because the number one way to prolong a rebuild is to saddle up with the wrong quarterback. Don't just take a quarterback because you need one. They come out of that 2021 draft class that was supposed to be the next great thing, right? Well, so far, one of those quarterbacks isn't trusted to push the ball more than five yards downfield. Another one is out, injured, and maybe replaced by Jimmy Garoppolo. The next one just had his best career game and what's been a very tough start to his career. And the next guy after that just got benched for Bailey Zappi. And what do they do but wait and land the best tackle in that 2020 class in Panay Sewell, 2021, check that. And then this year, again, with a much less heralded quarterback class, they pass on it again, but they kick the can down the road once again. And I think they're in this position where when they decide to pull the trigger, if they get the right guy, you could have some magic and some spark because they have this roster that's kind of getting there, just not quite there at the quarterback position in terms of the young guy yet. And I do think the mistake was that last Matt Patricia year, not going after Tua Tungabailoa or Justin Herbert, and instead going after a cornerback when you really needed a quarterback that year. So as they've put this thing together, the emphasis on the trenches really shows. You won't see Levi on Wuzarike on Sunday. He's fantastic. And he, he and Aleem McNeil were hits along that defensive line. They also brought in the very, very productive Michael Brockers, formerly of the Rams. Then outside with Aiden Hutchinson, Charles Harris, Julian Oquara. They're well built on the defensive line, like they are on the offensive line, with arguably the best tackle tandem in football in Panay Sewell and Taylor Decker. Frank Ragnow, one of the best centers in the NFL. Jonah Jackson went to the Pro Bowl last year at guard. So that's where they focused. We mentioned... Swift and Akuda as two hits in the draft classes, or you know, Akuda's getting better this year. I should say it was a rough couple of first years for him, but he looks better this year. Uh, but there's still plenty of work to be done on that defense, and I think, I think, I'm not 100% sure that they're trending in the right direction, despite what the record says. Let's go ahead and jump into this. Dolphins offense versus Lions defense, quarterback versus safeties, and we can start here with the defensive structure. They're going to play man coverage. I think they're going to give Tyreek a lot of attention. They've really focused this season on erasing the opposition's number one guy. Some weeks it has worked. Justin Jefferson, three for 14. Others, it has not. DK Metcalf, seven for 149. This feels like a big waddle day to me. I think if you're going to leave him single covered against some of the single high looks you could see, could be a a day upwards of 150 or more receiving yards for a guy like him. I also think throwing to the backs feels like it could be fruitful here because they're playing off man and the double moves slash outright speed of Waddle and Tyreek I think you have a chance to really generate some bust and big gains in this like you did against Baltimore. If we can hit them, we can really take them out of their game and just basically they want to grind it out, run the ball, hit some big plays, and then they become one-dimensional, and that plays right into your hands. Their defense, 3-4 is 11%, 4-3 is 12%, so those offshoots of base defenses, good hybrid mix there. 69%, nice nickel defense, and 3% in the dime. So a good look at a true hybrid hybrid defense here under Aaron Glenn and their ability to do so because of their flexibility up front. They will also mix that press and off coverage with nearly a 50-50 split so far this year. And on our side, I thought Tua was fantastic on Sunday, getting the ball out of his hands from various platforms and arm angles. We've been over this, but if the accuracy and timing was just dialed in a fraction of a percentage more, there's some space for even more explosives for an offense that already has one of the most explosive production in the entire league. 
So they'll play lots of man for Tua, and that means identifying matchups that he likes and doing his post-snap checklist to create the lanes slash hold the defense or move the defense is a big key for him here. They'll play a lot more single high than most teams do in the shifting landscape of defensive structure. They're in single high or part of that man-free defense, you know, single high safety, for, uh, man coverage underneath 61% of the time. They're in two high structures, 32% of the time, and the rest is zero coverage, 7%. They will do that, and they will gamble on some of those zero blitz looks. I'm really curious to see if they'll do that here because a lot of speed can be tough to deal with in man coverage. So can we force them out of what they do, or is it going to be a matchup where the two teams just want to challenge each other, kind of like when you have a big-time slugger and a big-time power arm in the middle of the ba- in the batting order in baseball – just go after him. We'll see if they want to do that. I'll keep an eye on that all game long. They are down their captain and free safety, Tracy Walker, uh, due to an Achilles injury that he suffered back in week three. Their primary safeties are Deshaun Elliott, who is a little bit of a hybrid between off ball and, and box safety. Five, seven, or five completions on seven targets for 64 yards. He does have one pick when teams have targeted him. He's been a box presence with over 200 snaps down inside, but he really kind of rushes, plays the run, or falls back into the deep post. So he doesn't really match up man coverage a whole lot. The other primary safety is Kirby Joseph. He's been on the field for 97 snaps against the run and 89 in coverage. He'll start high and come down. It's a 123 to 70 split in terms of free safety and box. So both those guys are kind of the hybrid safeties we see more and more across the league right now. But he's had a very hard time this year against the run. The Lions have turned a lot of free or runners free, I should say, once they break through that first level. And a lot of that comes from safeties being out of position or over pursuing, getting caught in the wash against the running game. A few final things before we move on here. The Lions blitz 30% of their defensive snaps. That's the seventh highest rate in the NFL. And they are not going to go down with the bat on their shoulder. They go down swinging. So Tua needs to be quick in his processing like he was against Pittsburgh, a la that first pass to Waddle, throwing right behind the blitz. On the season, Tua's 26 for 40 with 302 yards. That's 7.6 yards per pass, a touchdown and no picks against the blitz. And I feel very confident saying that Tua is in that echelon of quarterbacks that you don't want to blitz because he's too good and will make you pay. Off the line's 30% blitz rate, they just don't get home enough, hence the vulnerabilities on this defense. They pressure the quarterback at a 22.7% clip, so a margin of negative 7.3% in terms of blitz rate and pressure rate, 7th highest blitz rate, 17th best pressure rate. The average depth of target against the Lions is 9.2 yards. That's tied for the most in football. That's a big part of that blitz, man coverage, cover one stuff we see. We mentioned that in three of their games, they've surrendered a lot of points, not as much in the other three, but the common theme there is that teams have gotten vertical on them to score points. In those three 35-plus point games uh, on passes 20-plus, seven for 11 are the opponent for 250 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. It's There's some space downfield. Teams have tried it. Some have succeeded. Some have not, but it's a little more inviting than what we're seeing around the league on balance. And when you have guys like 10 and 17, Go get it. Receivers and tight ends versus corners, of course, a huge part of this matchup. As we referenced the primary man coverage of the defense of the Lions, can Tyreek and Jalen, Trent, and Sed, and the tight ends and backs generate separation against the man coverage? I think so. Let's first look at their coverage numbers. Uh, Jeff Okuda, 22 receptions on 31 targets for 271. Some good hate to be made there. Amani Orarie, 22 of 30 for 242. Mike Hughes, has played, but he's been injured. He's 18 for 23, 246 yards. And his replacement, A.J. Parker, 7 of 7 for 143 on just 50 coverage snaps. So he's been a guy that teams have gone after in the last two games. And to me, this is simple. Okuda has had his struggles, but nothing like 
the other two guys they've played. Parker really, really, really struggled so far the last two games and often offers free access to the slot receiver, which is like, that's tough to play man coverage against free access. That's a problem against speed, particularly like Tyreek and Jalen. And then Owarie is susceptible to double moves and he's fast but not quick. And they've had these plays where they don't have safety help. He's 10 yards off the ball and you run that fake curl and go back to the post or the corner or the deep like he bites on those. So I'm thinking that Ravens game maybe all over again. Hopefully. There should be opportunities here throughout. They've really really struggled against tight ends as well. More on that here in just a second. On a fast track on the turf against a primary man team, you know, coach talked about the burden of Tyreek and Jalen and how they carry the expectations and the burden of the expectations against a defense like this. There's a lot on the receivers across the board in general to win and create separation, especially against a good pass rush like the Lions, and when you're talking about that, Okuda, Owarie, Parker versus Waddle and Hill. Like, matchup favors the visiting team. Speaking of that pass rush, offensive line versus defensive line, that front really drives the defense. Their most productive player has been the second pick in the draft, Aiden Hutchinson. He leads a team with 19 pressures and 13 run stops, both those categories. He's a big presence with the ability to use that power to obtain leverage, hold the point in the running game, but also convert speed to power as a pass rusher. He's been getting home. It's a fun matchup against Teron Armstead. On the other side, Charles Harris has been banged up, but he's an absolute speed merchant, as you know, off the edge. I like the way the Dolphins line has played inside out recently in terms of squeezing, and then you trust Teron and Brandon Shell to get their width and get their depth and find their landmarks. It's a big test for Shell against Harris if he can go to be able to get to those landmarks in time for a speedy pass rusher. They're stout inside, but I think you can use their aggressiveness against them. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Connor Williams continue his tear this season. I think this game sets up really well for Big Rob to have some of those big blocks in the second level that spring some backs. But mostly, all the eye candy that we offer, I think, can cause some over-pursuit and big cutback lanes because they've not been gap-sound. And if you can want to neutralize Charles Harris, run the ball at him. I expect some, some good runs this week from your Miami Dolphins. They do have some serious athletic ability inside with McNeil, Kaminsky, Brockers, Bugs, and Bryant. It's a nice mix of veteran and young player, and they really want to get upfield on you. So Miami's ability to be assignment sign, assignment, assignment sound, wow, and fire off the football. Those are some keys I'm looking at. Pressure numbers for this Detroit front. Hutchinson, 19. Kaminsky, second with 10 on just 51 pass rush reps. So great efficiency. And there's a huge drop-off in terms of efficiency. Just nine for Harris, eight for McNeil, and seven for Anzalone. Run stops, Hutchinson leads the way with 13. Malcolm Rodriguez has 13. Jeff Akuda has 13. Alex Anzalone has 12. And safety Deshaun Elliott has 8. So it just there's not been a lot of plays made this year uh, on this line's defense. The running backs and linebackers. I alluded to the man coverage and how they've handled tight ends this year. It's not been good. The same is true at running back. There's a reason they're allowing uh, historical numbers right now. I can't tell you how many times on tape I've seen a stacked off-ball linebacker, which is behind a defensive tackle, five yards off the football, have to go cover a running back on a flare or swing to a side of the field that he's outflanked pre-snap by five or six yards already. Then he has to fight through trash of rubs and picks and that type of thing. So with the speed we have it back, I think you could probably steal some big plays this week on high percentage throws. That's exactly what you want. They also have not been gap sound at all, like I mentioned. So you'll often see two guys in a gap, meaning none and another in the running game. And as I mentioned earlier, the safeties tend to play in this limbo of off on at the line in terms of do I go, do I come back? And it takes, you know, one one run in space or one guy in space to make a move to get around them. And that's off to the races. We've seen it this year with the Seahawks a couple of times and some other games as well. So 
I just think there's opportunities across the board for Miami. We've seen the Dolphins' run game get cranked in the last few weeks. The Lions' run defense has really struggled. They did hold the Commanders to 88 yards. That was the lowest opponent output. That, of course, was when they were at their healthiest. But when they do fit it right, it's often led by the speed and athletic ability of Alex Anzalone coming downhill with those 12 run stops. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, you guys remember him from Hard Knocks. He leads the linebackers with 13 run stops. Undersized, but it doesn't matter because he's fast and instinctive. And that's a big reason why they're trusted. They, they trust him so much with man coverage on backs and tight ends for Anzalone as well. You'll often see them carry routes up the seam and you can throw, you know, against their leverage, basically over their heads and over the top of their shoulders, but also sprint out to the perimeter on covering swings and screens and flats and things of that nature. Combined, opposing teams have completed 78% of their passes for 378 on these linebackers. It's 9.9 yards per pass attempt, and we saw Raheem get it going in the passing game last week. We know what Tua can do when he escapes the initial wave. He tends to create space for the backs in the passing game. Perhaps we get more production that way again after 40 yards and a touchdown from the running backs in the passing game last week. I feel like I'm saying this about the entire game, but I think this is a chance for the screen game to get cranking too. If you want to dial up those blitzes and play man coverage, We'll screen you to death. So lots of opportunities. Let's go ahead and take our break and get to the other side of the football here. Dolphins defense, Lions offense. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. It's a Thursday, the return of football into your household after two days off. Do you guys struggle on Tuesdays and Wednesdays without football in your house during the fall? I know I do. Let's go ahead and pick it back up with our favorite matchup of the week, the Dolphins, of course, and the Detroit Lions. Uh, on Sunday, 1 o'clock at Ford Field. It's still called Ford Field. Um, starting here with the defense, or the Miami Dolphins defense versus the Lions offense and the quarterback position versus the safeties. They've got just in general, their offense. They have four receivers in the current roster with Amon Ross, St. Brown status for Sunday unknown. So in that Dallas game, we saw lots of 12 personnel and the result was an 83% workload for TJ Hawkinson, 51% for Brock Wright, the number two tight end. And you still had three receivers eclipse 50%. So it's like most offenses in the NFL that it is 11 based. Uh, 11 personnel, 68% of the time, 12 personnel, 13% of the time, but that went up without uh, the receivers they haven't had the last couple of weeks. And 13 personnel is 5%. They have an occasional snap in 01 and 21 personnel, both less than 2%. And that brings us to the quarterback position with Jared Goff, who what I like about Goff is he can challenge every inch of the field with a true power arm that he has. He wants to beat you from the pocket, play in rhythm and on time, and work off the play-action game the Lions will go to after they establish the run that has been such a sturdy element of their team, especially with DeAndre Swift potentially back in the fold. Now, we saw the Dolphins' defense get back to a little more press and reroute last week in terms of getting up in guys' faces, and given the Lions' receiver position, I think that could be the play here again. But if you play zero and off, he can take the outs and hitches to the field, which are hard throws to make, but he has the strong arm to do it and really eat you alive with those the way Lamar Jackson did when he adjusted this year to our game plan going off of the game in 2021 where he beat him down pretty soundly. He adjusted with those quick throws, with those answers. 
I don't think the plan is going to be all that different from how you approach Kenny Pickett, only you don't have to commit a spy the way Miami adjusted to him after a couple scrambles. Goff will not do that. If you push him off the spot, you'll beat him. Goff wants to attack from the pocket. He does have seven scrambles this season for a total of 27 yards. He's been sack fumbled four times, so getting him uh, on the ground, you can get turnovers that way, making him uncomfortable, speeding up the process, and not letting him hit the back foot, get through progressions, and play clean because he will absolutely carve you up if that happens although the numbers do not say that. Uh, Against the Blitz this year, 64%, 7.9 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, three picks. When not blitzed, 61%, 7.3 yards per attempt, so a dip in those stats, but eight touchdowns and three picks. Now when he's pressured, 47%, 6.7 yards per attempt, three and three touchdowns and picks, and then not pressured, 68%, 7.8 yards per attempt, eight touchdowns, three picks. So it's a little bit of both, but you guys have seen him play before. You've seen him play against this defense before. He's been pressured on 32.5% of his dropbacks, and those dropbacks have been uh, 12 sacks and, like I mentioned, the four fumbles. So where so many quarterbacks in this dang league can escape that pressure and extend, this is one of the throwback types of quarterbacks that you can hit and actually get sacks against, and we saw in that 2020 game against the Rams, didn't we? Blitz cut off those backside boots with weak side pressure and forced him to reset and make a throw under duress. It just doesn't go well when that happens, and it led to four picks in that game. More recently, he played with the uh, against the Patriots, I should say, just two weeks ago in a similar defensive system. They blitzed him 15 times. That produced three sacks and golf through for 89 yards on 7 of 12 passing. And then when not blitzed, when New England went the coverage route, it was just 52%, 6.1 yards per pass and a pick. So I think that this... This system and structure and play calling of this defense is really tough for Jared Goff. One more stat for you. 20-plus air yard throws this year. They are 8 for 26 for just a buck 89, three touchdowns and two picks. That's like 7.1 yards per pass. On throws that are 20 air yards down the field, they just haven't had the separation downfield to really afford them the opportunities. And what does that make me think? Maybe a chance to unlock Javon Holland a little bit more and gamble with it a little more since they struggle to get vertical. Not unlike the Ravens game last year where we essentially said, try and get over the top. I bet you can't do it. I think that would work here potentially, especially if St. Brown is down. We'll see if his availability is, is good to go or not for Sunday. On our end, no Brandon Jones. And man, that sucks. What a good player and what a better dude he is. Good, you know, Get well soon, 29. We'll miss you out here. Javon's coming off of a huge play in the Pittsburgh game. He's primarily been in the post with 354 of his five or 454 snaps coming in that area. I think that could change this week a little bit, maybe. I'm not sure, but maybe. The thing that I'm really curious to see is how you replace Brandon Jones' snaps. We saw McKinley get some run last week. We saw Clayton Fedulum. We saw a couple of snaps with Elijah Campbell and, of course, Eric Rowe. And Eric Rowe had great coverage on that fourth down conversion from Fryermuth, but, man, he just made a play on him. And Rowe has a great history of coming up and playing the run and covering tight ends, but it's been a rough go lately. Uh, 16 for 17 for 220 yards on Eric Rowe in coverage this season. And I'll tell you this, whoever gets that increased workload, you better be ready to stick your face in the fan and insert yourself into the run game because the lines will come downhill and challenge you to do it. You have to be sharp. I think I'd like to see an increased workload for Elijah Campbell. He was a really good blitzer off the edge this summer in training camp. The Dolphins can obviously go with some of that big nickel to mitigate some of the losses they might have at corner. We'll see who's available on Sunday. But man, he's a pretty good presence off the edge in that pass rush game. And I think he could factor in that way here as well. Receivers and tight ends versus corners. We'll have to wait and see on St. Brown. As I mentioned earlier, they had four active receivers on the roster. So if he can't go, you have to imagine they'll elevate somebody. DJ Chark is on IR, as well as Jamison Williams, who had to miss some time coming off the ACL injury. He's not yet back. So this is a team that you could look at a month or so down the line and say, wow, they have some really 
top line receivers, but they're just not available right now. Last Sunday, Khalif Raymond, Josh Reynolds, and Tom Kennedy combined for 130 snaps. That's, you know, it's tough. So that's that's the trio. It was Maurice Alexander who played a handful of snaps as the fourth receiver, but he was waived on Monday and re-signed back to the practice squad. All of this is to say they're really struggling to separate with anybody not named St. Brown. They countered that on Sunday with a double wise look, you know, unbalanced 12 personnel, and that gives you the extra gap in the running game. But me thinks this could be a big nickel game slash heavy linebacker game. Maybe we see some more Chang Tindall. I don't know. But for the Cowboys, they were in man coverage almost all game, and the Lions just could not get any separation. As for what the matchups might look like here, I don't have any idea, but these here's the separation numbers on these guys. Khalif Raymond, 2.9, and Josh Reynolds, 2.8, and St. Brown, 3.0. So, like, sticky man coverage works uh, against these guys. St. Brown is uber competitive and can make a bunch of yards out of nothing, particularly after the catch. Reynolds is a technician who wins with nuance, attacking leverage, and having super sturdy hands. And then Raymond is a straight burner with three, uh, four, three, four speed. But uh, frankly, I think it's a safe bet. Whatever you want to do, it basically comes down to who do they want to have X eliminate because he's been doing that for a couple of weeks now. Or will the Lions just simply rotate guys and X just locks down one side and sort of how he did against the Vikings and Steelers. Raymond is blazing fast, but he has a hard time getting off press. I might go that route and just take him out of the game, take the speed out of the game, and allow yourself to play more physical and aggressive uh, That and just let Igbo, Bethel, Cater, Keon, whoever it might be, just match up the rest of the way and use the safeties to rob and drop down and buzz and do all that fun stuff. Now, the main option at tight end is TJ Hawkinson, and he got 20% of the target share last week. They operate through that position in a lot of ways in terms of him being able to function in the running game, but also as a pass catcher off of that, they do a good job of creating matchups on linebackers and safeties for him. And that with the design, we'll even script in some gimmies with those play action boots and flat routes just to get the ball in his hands and some space at times. Now the Patriots plan for Hawkinson was interesting because it completely wiped him out of the game. A lot of attention, a lot of rerouting and attacking him to minimize both his effort in the running game and as a receiver. I could see something similar here where Hawkinson's kind of the the main guy you look to take away. It's actually a a perfect prelude to this next group here because on the offensive line, defensive line, I mentioned they'll go unbalanced 12 and they'll run the football and how it helps them get two advantages. One, they add a gap in the running game that you have to account for. And two, if your backside contain is not good, it gives Goff that clear throwing lane off play action when he pulls it in bootlegs. Don't let him do that. It's imperative for the backside backers and edge to be able to stay in tight to the line and pursue downhill to give the front side the help they should they need in case they get that knockback and force the back to bubble and hesitate. You need to be able to get in there and make that tackle like Van Ginkle does so often, but also have good discipline to recognize when Goff does pull the football out and try to win that edge on his bootleg. If you can beat him to the spot, it's likely going to be a win for you. If you don't, he's won in that area a lot. Just not a lot with the Lions, but back with the Rams. Given what I've seen from this bare front heavy defense with the athletic edges, both here and with the Patriots, you know, against the Lions, I think this is one of the better matchups for Miami this season on defense as it pertains to the aforementioned comment about the Patriots taking Hawkinson out. I think Miami is well equipped to deploy a similar plan where you just throw off his timing by and then pass him off to the next guy in coverage, kind of like New England did because it was a safety corner linebacker, Kyle Duggar, Jonathan Jones, Jelani Tavai. They just found ways to reroute, disrupt, and then pass him off to somebody else before he can get back up to speed again. It was very effective. So that's to say that between Phillips, Ogba, provided he's back, Van Ginkle, and Ingram, their eyes and change of direction off that edge have to be really good this week. They also need to be good pass rush plans because this tackle tandem is very good. Let's go ahead and peep their pressure numbers allowed so far this season. And they've not really had health up front. 
Sewell and Decker have played the entire year at 245 snaps. Uh, Evan Brown's played the most for a guard at 186. Jonah Jackson's played 115. And then Frank Ragnow, their center, has played 208. So Sewell's allowed 11 pressures, Decker 20. That's a lot for Decker. Uh, Jackson and Brown, the guards, five apiece, and Ragnow, four pressures allowed. Logan Stenberg was an opening day starter. He's played 89 snaps, allowed 10 pressures. And Dan Skipper, 132 snaps, 11 pressures. As you can see, lots of injury issues up front. Uh, but there are only two guys going wire to wire this season are the two tackles. And of course, it's perhaps with two of the most complete resumes, although Ragnow certainly is a stud. Uh, but these numbers are interesting. This is a group that really explodes off the football and can punch you in the mouth. I'd be surprised if they don't come out with Swift likely back in the fold and make a concerted effort to run the ball early on. That's why I think getting some explosive on offense and just kind of uh, taking away that run game could be a, a really Really good route to victory for Miami in this game. It's actually been a bit of a disaster this year for, or I should say the last three weeks for Taylor Decker. Sacking each of those games, four pressures, five pressures, and four pressures. And that's against three completely different defenses and play styles. I continue to think this is a Phillips-Van Ginkle game once again, uh, both for those one-on-ones, but also that backside flow and discipline point that I made earlier. As for the interior, you know I love how Christian and Zach and Raekwon stack up. They have an interesting blend of power and athletic ability on the interior, but I'll tell you this, they simply do not allow penetration. They like to keep that interior as tight as possible for Goff to stand in there and have that clean pocket in front of him. Evan Brown's 320, Frank Ragnow's 309, Jonah Jackson's 311. It'll be important for our guys to be able to hold the line and maintain their gap control against a team that can run it so effectively and keep the pocket secure inside for a really polished pocket passer. I look for Christian Wilkins to have a big game here. The Steelers really worked him out of the game with a lot of double teams. He still got his, but just to have the normal impact that he does. I think he has a chance for some penetrating slash one gapping here where he can get outside the scheme and make a little more big plays that way. Running backs and linebackers, if the O-line isn't the line strength, the running back room is. DeAndre Swift, he's averaging 8.6 yards per carry and 4.5 yards after initial contact. What? Granted, that's just 27 attempts, but man, they create some lanes for him. When they don't, he creates his own space. More than one-third of his runs, six of the 27, are for 10-plus yards. Six, twelve. No, that's not one third. One, f- shoot, one fifth. <laughs> Close enough. He's forced six missed tackles and he has six first down runs. Then Jamal Williams has six rushing touchdowns. Apparently, six is the magic number here. But Williams is a tough as hell runner with two point eight four yards after initial contact of his own. And then Craig Reynolds is at three point seven six yards after contact with a nice package of pass pro clips and receiving clips too. So it's a tall order for the Miami backers this week with this deep multifaceted group. That's why it's so imperative to control the gaps up front and create lanes for our backers to flow downhill. Could be a potentially big game for Landon Roberts to do what he does best and go be that B-gap to B-gap enforcer. And of course, Jerome Baker doing the main things that he does in this defense. The many things, I should say. Playing off the edge, running 20 yards downfield in coverage. Those guys' eye discipline being good this week is going to be a big key for your Miami Dolphins. And then just sort of apropos of nothing I've been really impressed by Duke Riley's game this season. He made another big play on Sunday night with a tackle for loss. Saw him get 29 snaps in that game with three run stops, and that's with just eight non-pass rush snaps. I think his speed's a valuable commodity. He hasn't played a lot the last few games before that. He got back to his 20, 30 snaps or so, and he was really productive in that role. Let's go ahead and take our last break. We'll come back and do special teams, what's at stake, and the three keys. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. 
If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Segment number three here on a Thursday preview edition of the Drive Time Podcast. We covered the offense and defense. Let's talk about special teams here. With Sanders, he's perfect from under 50. And frankly, I could not agree more with Coach Crossman about the stroke and the kicks just being off a little bit. He said last week the miss against the Vikings was the one true miss hit where he just flat out missed it. The other's just barely off. And I think you're seeing him dial it in more and more. He's up to 10 for 13 on the season, 15 of 16 on a point after tries. All three misses from 50+. plus. The Lions have used three kickers this year. Currently, it's Michael Badgley, who has been elevated off the practice squad. Currently do not have a kicker on their roster, actually, but he's two for two on the season, including a 53-yarder. Their punter is Jack Fox, who has 19 punts at a booming average of 48.7. He kicks them high and deep. And, of course, our guy, Thomas Morstead, just been killing the football. It's either good distance and hang time or a pin inside the 10-yard line. Not a lot of return yards against us for a consistent 45.8 yards per punt on 29 kicks. What's at stake for us this week? I don't know. I mean, it's too early to start looking at the playoff standings. I mean, that's not really until post-Thanksgiving, but you're currently in the sixth position in the AFC. So staying in the top seven's at stake. You lose the game, you probably fall out of that. Avoiding dropping four out of five is at stake. Stringing together some wins here ahead of the stretch runs, obviously very important. It's a non-conference game against a team that's struggling in the win-loss column. But the theme here throughout the preview the lines are close and they're competitive and they're going to play a tough 60 minutes. So not letting the guard down and getting lax with the finer points like fundamentals and technique, that's kind of a key and what's at stake. All good teams take every single game seriously and that should be the expectation here on the road against a struggling Lions team. The three keys in this game, maintain your gap control on defense. If you stop the run, it sets up the rest of the defense for a chance to make plays against the Lions offense that has been kind of one-dimensional at times this year. Number two, establish your running game. They've been giving up over 160 yards per game. Get yours there and that will create openings for everything else on the offense. And I think Miami's ability to hit big explosives in this game is going to exist either way. But if you get the running game going, it'll really exist. And then number three, just don't beat yourselves. Don't get negative in the turnover department. Don't have 10 penalties. If you do those things, you can bury bad football teams. And so far, the Lions, that's what they've been. Don't let them hang around because they can make you pay if you do that. So those are your three keys. Let's make the week eight picks. We have an eight and six in back-to-back weeks. Yuck. You, you know how they have the stat like replacement level? That's like retirement level production. It's been a weird, weird season, but we have to do better and we will. We are 68, 39, and 1 on the year. Woof. Give me the Ravens over the Bucks on Thursday night football tonight. Ugh, the London game. Give me the Jags over the Broncos. You know, sprints on the plane, not going to work. Snakes on a plane, I don't, I don't think it's going to work. Uh, Cowboys over the Bears. Give me the Eagles over the Steelers in the Battle of Pennsylvania. Give me the. Patriots over the Jets. We need that one. Come on, Mac. Play a good game this year. Play it over the Jets. Beat the Jets. Uh, Las Vegas over the Saints. Give me the Dolphins over the Lions. Give me the Cardinals over the Vikings. I'll take Atlanta over Carolina, although I think both those teams are going to start having a rough time this year because Atlanta's defense is banged up. Tennessee over Houston. Seattle over the Giants for the upset win at home. Give me Washington over India. That's a tough one, too. But Sam Ellinger, I don't know about that. Uh, Buffalo over the Packers. 
and give me the Browns over the Bengals on Monday Night Football. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Twitter Spaces show last night at 8 o'clock when it posts uh, the recorded version to my timeline at Wingfield NFL. Follow the Fish Tank podcast and check them out. Every Tuesday they post a new show with Seth and OJ. Check out the post game show on 560 WQAM. Also our international podcast with uh, Spain and the UK. Also the YouTube media availabilities as well as Dolphins Today, Fish Tank and Drive Time content up there as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's coming home.